Hi, my name is Caitlin and welcome to the Gospel House. Our mission here at the Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough, that in the gospel we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance this gospel message of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, let's get into it. Week two of our Reverse the Curse sermon series. Last week, we talked about the fall of man. Very cheery topic, huh? Adam and Eve and their disobedience to God. And we talked about how because of that disobedience, they successfully doomed all of mankind. How would you like to have that on your resume? Yes, but we participate in that. But the good news is we talk about the bad stuff, but then because of the bad stuff, our hope drives even deeper, right? Because Adam and Eve, yes, they sinned and we all are living under the curse, but we have a Savior who came and he powerfully reversed that curse. I think the depths to which Jesus went to reverse this curse Number one, I don't think we'll ever realize how thoroughly Jesus reversed the curse of sin. I think we'll get to heaven and there will be layers of this that we are like, holy cow, Lord, why didn't you tell me that when I was on earth? I would have praised you even more, right? But we got all eternity to do that. But Jesus thoroughly reverses the curse. And as we're going to see, we're going to go through the, the consequences of Adam and Eve's action because at each step of the way, there is a curse that God pronounces separately on each individual who's involved in this fall of man. But then we're going to go through and we're going to show how each of those curses, everything that God lays out as the curse, Jesus Christ thoroughly reverses. So we got to soak that in, right? How perfectly, how completely Jesus reverses the plans of the enemy. George Whitfield, he, he has this quote, I'm not going to get it exactly right, but he talks about how, how much joy he used to find in how thoroughly God took the plans of Satan, took the plans of the enemy, and accomplished the exact opposite purpose that Satan had carried out those plans. How he completely takes Satan's plans and flips them and makes them do the exact opposite thing that Satan wanted. And we see that every step along the way. And even here in the Garden of Eden, Satan looks like he has the last laugh, right? He looks like he won. But then on Easter Sunday, we see that the joke's on him, right? Jesus Christ thoroughly reverses that. But it's not just on Easter Sunday, right? It is every day, y'all. This is the thing. I talked about this last week, but this drives me nuts on Good Friday services, right? I was guilty of this. I did this as a worship leader. There was a song we were singing, and the last verse had to do with the resurrection, but we were singing it on Good Friday, so he didn't sing the last verse because, well, Jesus isn't risen yet. It's Good Friday, right? Jesus isn't a jack-in-the-box, though, right? He didn't pop out of the tomb, and then he goes back in, and then Easter next year he pops back out of the tomb and then goes back in, right? He doesn't do that. Jesus Christ is risen 365 days of the year, 366 on a leap year, right? All the time. We got to start living like it. So 
Today, we turn our attention to Eve. We're going to go a little out of order. If you actually are reading along in Genesis 3, you'll be like, wait a minute, Eve doesn't come first. We're saving Satan for the end, though. (laughs) Yes, because he gets a good one. But we're starting today with Eve as we break this down and look at each of these individuals. And we're going to look at what God tells Eve are the consequences of her actions when she decided. And remember, we talked about this last week, but when Adam and Eve, when they took that fruit, the decision they were making, yes, it was disobedience, but we got to dig a little deeper into that because the decision they were making, what they were saying underneath everything is God I want to do my life my way. That's what they said. That was what Satan dangled in front of them. He said, if you eat this fruit, you will become as wise as God and you won't need him anymore. And they saw that that was good. Adam and Eve saw that that was good. They wanted that. That was what they wanted in that fruit. They wanted to become wise. They didn't want God telling them what to do anymore. I want to be smart so I can do it my way. Sound familiar, anyone? Sounds familiar to Jeremy. Too often, y'all. I say, God, I got this. I got this. I can do this my way. I know how to run the Gospel House Church. I know, how, I know what direction. We've been doing pretty good. We, I got this. Nah, uh-uh-uh-uh. That's not what God wants. Nowhere in Scripture do I believe that's what God says. Every moment of every day, you know, we're in our Bible in a year plan. We do this Bible in a year plan as a church if you participate. If you participate and you're stuck behind, it's never too late to catch up, right? Just go to where we're at. Don't worry about trying to catch up. Don't worry about reading through all. Just go to where we're at. If you haven't joined, you still can join. Just join us where we're at, right? But we're we're studying this, and, and we're going through, right now we're in the book of Joshua. And it is incredible to me, because even in Joshua, there's the, we just got done reading of this battle. They have this big success in Jericho. And then after that, they immediately go and they fight this little like piddly town called AI. It's just AI. I don't know if that's how it's pronounced. I don't know how else you pronounce it. AI. So that's what we're going to call it. They go and they, and they get defeated. And it's like, what the heck? Right? But the problem is, as they get ready to go attack, the Bible tells us that they didn't ask God how they were to attack. They thought, oh, we got, we just, look at this. Did you see Jericho? You see those walls, y'all? If you don't know about the walls of Jericho, go watch Veggie Tales. They'll tell you. <laughs> All right? They got, but you know, they, did you see those walls? We walked around that thing. We made those things fall down. Look at us. We're pretty hot stuff. Don't worry, Lord. We got this under control. And God's saying, wait, who told you how to get those walls to fall? They fell, not because you're great, but because you were obedient. Y'all, we got to get back to this church. We got an American church running around telling people that, that we can do this, that we are capable, that if we just apply these three easy steps, we can be like Jesus. False. There's one step, and it's not easy. Complete and total dependence on the Holy Spirit. That's the step. We don't like that, do we? Because when that's the step... Guess who doesn't get to have their way? Me, right? I've got to surrender to God's way. I've got to admit that God's ways are higher. Now, one more thing before we jump in here and and get to the, the passage for today. We've got to remember when we read this. A lot of times we'll read through these curses, and some of us are very familiar with this story. We've read this story a bunch, right? 
God tells Eve, you're going to have pain in childbirth. God tells Adam, you're going to struggle to work the fruit of the land. God tells Satan, I'm going to crush your head and you're going to bite my heel. And we read these things and we're like, ah, that explains it, right? Almost like it's like the, you know, the old like, mytholo Greek mythology and stuff where they, the sun came about on the tortoise's back and the tortoise came out of the, you know, like where they, the origin stories of all this stuff. And so we look at these things and, ah, so that's why. Y'all, these are curses, right? Curses are not God's intention, right? So as Christians, should we look at these curses and say, ha, ah, so this is how it was supposed to be? No, right? We should look at these things and be like, oh, so this is the messed up version. How do we redeem this? How do we get out from under this? Where in the Bible does it tell us? Yeah, you see these curses? Yeah, live under those. It doesn't say that anywhere, right? It says follow God and get out from under the curse. We've got to remember that because the danger is we read these things and we just accept them. Ah, well, that's why men are the way they are and women are the way they are. And that's not the way it was made to be, though. And we're going to see that. It's going to come into more clarity as we go through some of these points. But we've got to remember that. God has not called us to live under the curse. There are some of those curses that we're not going to be able to break out of yet. We are always going to feel the impact of some of that curse until we get to heaven, until Jesus comes back and redeems his creation completely. But until then, y'all, we're not supposed to just live under the curse content. We're supposed to be agents of change, right? We're supposed to be agents of redemption, and we're supposed to bring life into the curse, right? And teach others how to live out of the curse, to live under grace, to live under redemption, right? All right, so here it is. Genesis 3.16. Here's your scripture reading for today. It's one verse. <laughs> Easy. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall deliver children, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Three points that we can draw from the consequences of Eve's sin. First, we see the pain of sin. Second, we see a partnership ruined. And then thankfully, we can also see the reverse of this curse. So first up, the pain of sin. If y'all didn't know this, Sin brings pain. Can I get an amen? Right? Sin brings pain. And unfortunately, sin can also bring pain so that everyone experiences that pain, not just the person who sins. Right? Even when you do the right thing, you are still living under this pain that sin brought into the world. Kurt Motzinger talked about this a couple of weeks ago when he talked about pain and suffering. He asked the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Right? That is a major objection that our world has with God today. Why would a loving God allow good things to happen to bad people? And this is the answer. When Eve gives birth she's going to have pain. Eve gave birth to pain. Before all of this, it didn't exist. There was no pain in the garden. 
and sin is the reason for that. Theologically, this is called original sin. If you hear someone talk about original sin, that's what this means, is that every single human being born to a man and to a woman is born under and into this original sin, which also means that that's a faulty question. Theologically speaking, when we say, well, why do bad things happen to good people? The theological answer to that is, unfortunately, people just don't like it, there's no such thing as a good person. Because of what Adam and Eve did, all human beings are born into sin. We are all born with a sin nature that makes us completely self-centered and completely self-absorbed. And you really need to look no further than babies, right? Babies are incredibly selfish little creatures, aren't they? We've got babies. I've got, I've got a baby. He is so selfish. I was actually just, my kids were sick this week. And Elam was, he stayed home from school, and so I stayed home with him. And he had thrown up the night before and, you know, was, was all sad about it and everything and acting, moping around. And was talking about how tired he was. And I said, well, Elam, how tired do you think I am? I was the one cleaning up all your throw up. And he, I said, I didn't see you around helping me, were you? He said, well, no, I wanted to go back to sleep. <laughs> Children have a way, don't they? But it's true, and we see it in babies. The entire world revolves around babies, and rightfully so, right? Because if it didn't, they would probably die, right? They've got to, but can you, ima can you imagine an adult still living in that kind of state, right? Some of you men, you do. If Jana were here today, she would tell you, I do. When I'm hungry and tired, I just scream until I get my way, right? Bring me food. Let me go to sleep. I'm just going to scream and cry until... No, I don't really do that. But for real, we see it in kids all the time, right? They're born into this sin nature that says the entire world revolves around them. As we grow up, we learn that everybody feels like the world revolves around them. And so we get kind of kicked out of that. And we all trudge along, but there's this self-centeredness that exists in human beings that we can see. And the Bible tells us this over and over again. Not one of us is good. Not one of us is without sin. Everyone has fallen. The problem that we have today is that people, now here's the thing, people say they don't believe this. That's the, the critics of the faith. They say they don't, well, I don't believe that everyone is a sinner. I don't believe that everyone is truly bad, right? But then what do they immediately do? They undercut their argument immediately. Because immediately what they do, almost every time, if, you, if you've ever met somebody who doesn't present the argument this way, I would be shocked. But almost every time they put up a backdrop, right? You all, you, you all have, you know, those, those people that like on social media and stuff, they always get like their real ugly friends to take pictures with them. Right? Or they make sure that their friends are making like horrible faces when they take pictures, like they're sneezing and stuff so that they look really good. Right? You know who I'm talking about? You all, that name popped right in your head and you're like, oh yeah. Right? But that's what we do with sin. Because the objection to this is it's never I'm perfect because nobody's actually that dumb. The objection is always, well, I'm not that bad. Isn't it? Well, I mean, like, when you look at Hitler, like, yeah, I understand. Hitler, Stalin, like, 
all those guys, I understand hell. <laughs> but I'm not that bad. Y'all, if you need to use Hitler as a backdrop to you're not that bad, you done messed up, right? But that's what we do. Well, I mean, generally, I'm a pretty good person. I don't steal. I don't, I have, I've never cheated on my wife. I've never, and we go through this list of all the things that we haven't done, and we put that up as the backdrop to say, look, I'm not that bad. But it doesn't prove anything. Really, all it does is prove the exact opposite. Why don't you put up the gossip backdrop? Oh, because I blend in with that one. Ah, why don't you put up the not speaking well of others backdrop? Why don't you talk about whatever it is, lying, whatever? It's all wrong. And the problem is, and we see this over and over again in Scripture, we've talked about this a thousand times here at the Gospel House, but when people come into the presence of God, there's this immediate reaction of, of like fear and, and like hiding almost, Right? We see it in Adam and Eve in the garden. As soon as God shows up after their eyes have been opened, they hide. And why is that? Because they don't like the backdrop. Because when God shows up, that is a perfectly holy backdrop. And when we see that, when we stand up to God and put ourselves up against that backdrop, we see every blemish. We see every wrinkle. We see every scar. Everything that is still there that shouldn't be. And we don't like it. And so we pretend that he doesn't exist. And so we pretend that he doesn't look that good. We pretend that he's okay if we screw up with these things, if we mess around with these sins. He's only concerned with the big ones, right? He's got bigger fish to fry than my little sins and vices. It's not true, y'all. It is not true. Deep down, every single person knows you cannot live up to a perfect standard. You are not perfect. But if we say that we're not that bad, it doesn't hurt nearly as bad as if we admit that we're straight evil. You know, as it turns out, Lady Gaga wasn't wrong. We were born this way, right? If you didn't get the joke, it's all right. Don't worry. You're purer than we are. But here's the thing. We weren't meant to stay that way, right? Because that's the problem now we have, is that we were born this way, so let's just flaunt it. Let's just live in sin. Let's just, let's just you know, this is how I am. This is who I am. This is, this is how God made me. Nah, it's not how he made you. You were born the way, that way. But it's not how he made you. It's not his intention. So his intention that, yes, you were born this way, but that you would be made into his image through the conscious decision of accepting him, accepting his guidance, denying your way and doing things his way. When Adam and Eve brought sin into the world, they opened this can, and pain came with it. And everything and everyone else was impacted by it. This is God's proclamation to Eve. This is what he told her was, was going to happen because of what she did. I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall deliver children. So there are actually two separate Hebrew words that are used there. They both have the same root, but just to give you a little bit of context... Eseb, that's the, that's the second pain that's used there. It's the Hebrew word Eseb. And then the first Hebrew word is Esaban. 
And for context, that's actually the exact same Hebrew word that God pronounces, we'll see it next week, but that he pronounces on Adam. When he tells Adam, in toil, you will till the ground and it won't bear fruit for you. Adam's going to have to work. That's the same Hebrew word that's used there for pain. Different context, so it gets translated a little different. But that's what this Hebrew word means. Pain, toil, struggle, grief, right? All the bad stuff. You are going to fight to do this. It is going to hurt to do this. And I think there are layers here. And anyone who has kids will say amen to that. There are layers to kids, right? I am absolutely certain that God is talking about the pain of childbirth, right? Now remember, this is a curse. This wasn't how God intended it to be. I'm going to be really curious to get to heaven and find out how God intended this process to happen without pain, right? I don't see it. Generally speaking, watermelon-sized objects getting pushed out of not watermelon-sized holes, not a great feeling, right? So I don't know how God intended that to happen without pain, but I do know that pain didn't exist until this happened, right? So this is the curse, which means this wasn't how it was supposed to be. I guess if God says he can get a camel through the eye of a needle, right? hey, anything's possible for God. But I think as well as physical pain, as, long as, as well as God saying this is going to be physically painful, I think it goes beyond that. Because I think God is saying to Eve, and, and this includes all of Eve's descendants, right? These curses don't just stop with Eve. It's everyone down the line. So I think he's telling Eve, it is going to hurt when you give birth, it's going to hurt. But you are also going to give birth to pain. Pain is coming into this world. because th That Hebrew word for childbirth and deliver, ch or, and, and deliver children means bring forth children, right? Moms, after the child comes out, you're done, right? It's the dad's job after that. <laughs> it doesn't end there, right? Bringing forth children doesn't end when the baby's out, right? So when does the pain stop? Never, right? I made a really stupid comment. You know how when you're young, you do stupid things. I made a stupid comment to somebody that I was talking about my kids, and it's like, man, I'm just so ready for them to be older so that I can sleep at night. And they, they laughed. They had kids that they've been out of the house. They graduated college like my age. They laughed. And they said, oh, you think you're up now. Wait till they get their driver's license. You'll never sleep again. <laughs> Thanks for the hope, buddy. But for real, right? They never stop being your kids. And unfortunately, because of the pain, that brings joy, right? But it also brings pain. Some of you parents know that all too well. The pain that comes with raising children. And it's all because of sin. Whether that's a child who turns away from the Lord, and you've got to watch that. Whether that's a child who makes the same stupid, sin-filled decisions, the same self-centered decisions, over and over and over again. It's painful, right? 
but that's not how it was intended to be. God is saying, Eve, having kids is going to be work. It is going to hurt, and it's not going to stop hurting. Sin makes childbirth hard, but it also makes parenting hard. Because not only do you have to deal with the self-centeredness in yourself that makes you a terrible parent, right? You can't be a self-centered parent. That doesn't work. Not well, anyway. And the more you become selfless in the parenting process, the better it's going to end up for you and your kid, right? But you also have to deal with the sin in your children, the self-centeredness in your children that make them horrible children. You've got to correct that. You've got to get that out of them. And if you try to do it your way, what's going to happen? I've, there's all these books out now, y'all. Christians got to stop. We, I think we just got to stop writing books. Because the more we write these books, the dumber we get. But there's all these books out there now about crafting your child's future, right? You as the parent, you're in child of crafting your child's future. And so you've got to set them up with these appointments and get them with successful people. And if you want your child to be successful, you've got to drive these core values into them. And you, 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 you see the self-centeredness there? And we love it. You know why so many people write those books? Because that's where the money is, y'all. They wouldn't write them if people didn't buy them. But people are buying them in droves. Because what's it telling you? You are in control of your child's future. People who are older parents know that's absolute trash. Don't you? I did everything to raise my child the right way. And they still went down a path they shouldn't have gone down. Right? Or vice versa. I did everything, if we're being honest. I did everything to screw my child up. That's how I feel half the time. And I just happened to stumble into this stuff and I've got pretty good kids. Right? But we've got to come back. We talked about this with Adam and Eve last week, right? The very first thing they do when their eyes are open to their nakedness, when their eyes are open to the fact that they're exposed, what? They find man-made ways to cover themselves up, right? You looking for man-made ways to raise your children? you will fail every time. Your kids may be successful in the world's eyes, but y'all, in Jesus' eyes, he's not interested in man-made children. That sounded weird. That's not what I meant. You know what I mean. Children who were raised man's ways. Jesus isn't interested in that. So what should we do as Christian parents? Ask the Holy Spirit. Let him show us how to discipline our kids. Let him show us how to raise our kids. Let him show us how to disciple our kids instead of leaning on, well, Jeremy, I know much better than God, right? Well, maybe not Jeremy, but Dr. So-and-so with six PhDs from Harvard, he can tell me, stop. God's better than that, and he expects more from us, parents. Raising kids is hard, but it is much, much more difficult because of the second curse that Eve sees and that is in a partnership ruined. Our culture continues. I'm going to get political here, and I'm not being political. Let me, let, I'm, I'm going to say that first. This isn't a political statement. This is a biblical statement, okay? 
I'm not taking political sides here. So for those of you who are over on the one side of the fence and are like, yeah, you tell them. And those of you who are on the other side, like, ew, that hurt. This is what the Bible says, all right? So if you want to make it political, you can make it political. This is biblical. Our world continues to try to convince itself that children don't need a mom and a dad. It continues to try to convince itself, and it is so convenient that we can die on this hill of science until the science disagrees with what we have to say. Because there are sociological studies, y'all. There are psychological studies. These are real studies that you can look up and find the exact statistics for that show that children from single-parent homes are percentages, and it is significant percentages, y'all, you can look, I didn't do my research, forgive me, I don't care that much. But they're significant percentages, you can look it up when you get home. But they are more likely to commit suicide. They are less likely to find good jobs. The education rates are down. The crime rates are up. And yet we have a culture that continues to pound over and over again that family is just a social construct and parent, kids don't really need parents. When do we stop? When is the science enough? Now listen, single parents, this isn't a condemnation on you. This isn't saying, well, you better go get married quick or your kids are going to be super screwed up. No. But it is saying, lean into the church. Because guess what the church can provide for you? Positive role models of the opposite sex, right? If you're a single dad, lean into the women in the church to be that role model for your kids. If you're a single mom, lean into the church. And part of the problem is the church has said, ah, don't lean into me. Those children are born in sin, right? Church, we love to point the finger, but we're not willing to accept any responsibility to help be part of the solution. I'm swinging at both sides today. Take that. (laughs) But y'all, this is part of the pain that God puts on Eve. We were never meant to do this alone. And that's not just raising children. That's all of life. All of life is significantly harder. And it's because Adam and Eve ruined our relationships. Not just relationship between a husband and wife, but relationship with everyone. Every relationship is strained now because of sin. And we can't live in partnership with one another. To fully understand this, we have to understand why Eve was made. Right? Adam was first created in the garden. And God said this in verse 18, Genesis 18. Everything in the garden is good, right? Everything God makes is good. And then Genesis 2.18 happens. The Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. This is the first malediction in the Bible, right? A benediction is a pronouncement of good, right? Malediction is a pronouncement of bad. This is the first thing in the Bible that God says, this isn't good. And it's the fact that Adam is alone, right? He says it is not good for man to be alone. And so God 
The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the sky and to every animal of the field. But for Adam, there was, no, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Then the man said, At last, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, but they were not ashamed. Now, there have been, I've heard a lot of sermons preached on this passage, a lot of wedding messages. But to understand what's going on, I'm doing a lot of Hebrew today, so I apologize if you hate language study, but... That's what we're doing. So the, the Hebrew word here, ezer, is, is the word that is translated helper in verse 20. And so there have been a ton of language studies on that. Now, what's interesting is as you go through the Bible, that exact Hebrew word, that ezer, is only one time used for a human being. Do you know where? Here. It's the only time. Do you know who it refers to every other time? God. God is as our helper. God is our defense. God is our reinforcements in battle. It's almost always used in a context where Israel as a nation is fighting someone and they need God to come in and save the day, right? How you like that definition, woman? You don't hear that very much, right? Women? No, singular woman. How do you like that? No, that's not what I meant. <laughs> Boy, this is going to get all over YouTube and I am going to take some heat. Here we go. But that's what it means. Reinforcements, help, strength, right? The other word that is vital in understanding this is the word, the Hebrew word that means suitable. A lot of a lot has been, there's been a lot of books on this. The, the, that passage there, that helper suitable, uh, in the King James, it's translated as help meet. And so there have been books and podcasts and all sorts of stuff written on help meet. And to be honest with you, I have not read any of those books, and so I have no idea what they say. I, want, I do want to caution one thing, only because the title makes me a little suspicious that this is happening. It is never a good idea to base theology off of English translation. Okay? And so if, if it says help meet, and I, again, I have not read, the, there is a very specific book I'm thinking of called Created to Be His Help Meet. Has anybody read that? Okay. Uh, but but you, we just got to be careful because the Bible wasn't written in English and when it gets translated, it gets polluted, as it were. The Bible is considered the inspired word of God. It is without blemish. It is without mistake. It is completely accurate in its original language. Okay? So what happens is a lot of times we get into these translations and those translations get messed up. Okay? So there are people who will be like, well, see, the Bible's not inerrant. And it's like the translation of the Bible is not inerrant. In the original language, it's perfect. And in the original language, it does not say help meet. The exact words there, it says, Ezer Neged. That's, those are the two Hebrew words that are slammed together there to mean suitable helper. And it means a helper, and then this Neged word is really weird. That's why it gets translated a billion different ways. That means like and opposite. Good luck translating that one, right? How can something be like and opposite, right? 
But can you think of anything more like opposite than the person of the opposite gender? Right? (laughs) It's perfect, right? God's word is perfect, and that is a perfect description for me of my wife. She is like opposite, which means there are similarities that her and I share that make us stronger together. There are also key differences that her and I share that also make us stronger, right? Y'all, we've got to be careful. I told you this is getting political, right? As the world starts to go further and further into, everything's the same, right? Or you can wake up and choose whatever gender you want to be. It's a social construct. It's not a real thing. It doesn't actually exist. We are losing more and more the purpose for which God created us. He created us, man and woman, so that we would have a like, opposite helper. There are differences between man and woman that we can't bridge on our own. That nobody, no matter what procedures they have done, no matter what things they do, no no matter, they cannot bridge that gap. There are also similarities that we can't pretend aren't there. Right? And I'm going to caution you. I told you I'm swinging at people on both sides of the fence. Right? Because uh, there's a lot of people sitting here like, oh yeah, gender reassignment, it's evil, we got to get away. Yes, but... Gender roles that are not defined by the Bible are just as dangerous. It's the woman's place to be in the kitchen. She ought to be in there making me dinner every night. Show me. Show me. Well, I think it's John uh, 63, 8. Gender roles defined politically and not by the Bible are just as evil as all of this stuff that we think, oh, well, that's the evil stuff. Of course it's the evil stuff. You don't do it, right? It's that backdrop again. Stop putting up backdrops to make you look better and take the word of God to heart. God made us like opposite. Now, the other danger we've got to be careful of here That does not mean that Adam was created with deficiencies. Common, you know, common thought here, right? Eve was made to complete Adam. That's Jerry Maguire, y'all. That's not the Bible. To say that Eve was made to complete Adam means that when God made Adam, that Adam was less than perfect. And what does God say after he creates everything? He's good. God doesn't make things that aren't perfect, right? The problem that God saw was not something in Adam. It was something Adam didn't have. Adam didn't have someone to share with, right? Adam didn't have someone to worship God with. And we see that in Adam's response. Because what's Adam say? As soon as he sees Eve, he says, at last... This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. God, thank you. I can see who you made me to be now. 
I can see who I was made. I have someone to worship with, to share the things that you're doing with me with, to disciple with, right? Y'all, there's this dangerous thing that's happening in church culture today where worship is, it's your own intimate time with the Lord, right? Worship is your own person. Y'all, if you're not doing it together, it can never be fully worship. If you're not sharing what God is talking to you about, if you're not telling others how God is speaking to you and what he's saying, it's broken, y'all. It's not your personal relationship. God created us to share him with each other, to share ourselves with each other. That was part of what happened here in the Bible. And yet, because of their sin, it gets broken. Because God says, your desire will be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. The helpmeet is gone. The like opposite helper is ruined, and the partnership disintegrates. And we can see it so vividly today, can't we? when we look at across the board, the relationship between men and women, it just keeps growing farther and farther apart. The other side is evil, right? But y'all, it's not like it's worse today than it has been in the past. Because in the past, it was just as bad. It was the opposite way, right? You had men slamming their fists, submit to me, woman. And unfortunately, the church led the way in that. That's what, that's what the biblical family looks like. Submit to me, woman. Make me a sandwich. Right? Part of the reason we're in the mess that we're in is because authority has been abused. There's two sides of this. We've got to remember, y'all, this is the curse, right? Because too many times people have pointed to this verse and says, see, look, the husband's going to rule over you. Woman, get in line. That's the curse, y'all. It wasn't meant to be that way. It was meant to be a partnership. You were supposed to do it together. And we actually see this restored, right? We don't see it restored because we want to read the Bible through our personal lens. But y'all, Paul talks about this, doesn't he? When Paul gives the command to the church in Ephesians 5 about marriage, we love to focus on wives submit to your husbands, right? So much so that we ignore and husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Which command is harder We do this in premarital counseling all the time. Some of you are like, oh, we've heard this before. Which command is harder? To submit or to love like Christ loved the church? I don't know, y'all, but loving up to that bar, the way that Christ loved me, I can't do that on my own. Right? It was meant to be a partnership. All along, this was meant to be a partnership. But here's the reason we miss it. The only reason Paul could write Ephesians 5, did you guys know this? I don't know if you knew this. Historically speaking, Paul wasn't married. Did you know that? 
Paul never got married. Yet the best marriage advice we have in the Bible is from Paul. <laughs> Interesting. How in the world does that work? Because Paul knew the gospel. Because Paul knew why Adam and Eve were created in the first place. Because Paul knew that even in the Garden of Eden, when things looked darkest, right after all of this happened, that Jesus Christ was the plan. Because of what Jesus did first, before Paul, before any of this other stuff, we see this great reversal. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, all of us, all of us here are born into sin. But when Jesus comes into the picture, look at what he has to say. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus responded to him and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a person be born when he is old? He cannot enter into his mother's womb a second time and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, I say to you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which has been born of the flesh is flesh, and that which has been born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it is coming from and where it is going. So is everyone who has been born of the Spirit. We talked about this incredible promise that we have in Romans 8.28, right? We talked about that last week, a couple weeks ago. But this promise we have in Romans 8.28, but, but don't miss. The promise is so great, a lot of times we miss the purpose. Because the purpose of 8.28, Romans 8.28, comes in Romans 8.29. The whole thing says this, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And His purpose is this, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Sin came into the world through Adam and Eve. Eve, so to speak, gave birth to sin, right? To pain, to all of this stuff. Now Jesus is special. Did I need to say that? <laughs> Jesus' birth broke the curse because Jesus is the only human being who was not born of a man and of a woman. It's the mystery of the virgin birth, right? But if you read the Christmas story, that's part of it. The Holy Spirit comes upon Mary, and Mary conceives without a man in the picture. So Jesus is the only human being born without original sin. He broke the mold. Which means that Jesus is the only one who could possibly lead the way in the second birth. Jesus Christ, in perfect obedience, became the firstborn among those who will be raised from the dead. And y'all, that's you, right? 
If you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, that is you. You get to be in that line. You are a disciple of Jesus Christ who will be raised from the dead. Right? Some of us should act like that a little bit more. Shouldn't we? That's good news, y'all. Worth sharing, right? Jesus Christ led the way for you to be reborn. And all you have to do is give Him your heart. All you have to do. We're, gonna, we're actually doing this now. I, I have to just put this out there. I don't believe in sinners' prayers. You guys have been in churches where they read the sinner's prayer. You know, you're all, everybody closes their eyes and then repeats after me, I am a sinner, I am a sinner, I believe I am saved by grace, whatever it is. I don't believe in that. I don't believe in it. I don't think it's wrong. I don't, like, it's, I don't think like God's like, oh, you prayed the sinner's prayer, you're not in, get out. That's, I don't think it's that. I just don't see it anywhere in the Bible. And so I don't do stuff that I don't see in the Bible, so I don't do sinner's prayers. But you can pray a sinner's prayer on your own, Right? All you've got to do, we're actually going over this with the kids this morning. Miss Jackie's going over this with the kids this morning. So parents, if your kids come to you after church and say, I I prayed this prayer and I'm born again and I want to be baptized. That's why they did it, because they did it down there. So, but this is what we're walking through with the kids. All it takes to pray a sinner's prayer. The reason I don't like it is because you need to pray it. You don't need me to tell you how to pray it. All you do is say, God, I'm done screwing my life up. Now, you can be nicer to yourself if you want to be nice to yourself. I'm pretty brutal with myself. God, I'm done screwing my life up. I'm done thinking I know better than you. I am tired of the sin in my life, and I want you to take it. Holy Spirit, live in me. Holy Spirit, lead me. Help me to be dependent on you for every breath that I breathe. anything like that. You could say, God, I want that. And guess what God's going to do? Sinner's prayer, check. It counts, right? God sees your heart and knows what you're talking about. All you've got to do is tell him you want it. Tell him you want to be done doing this your way and you're ready to do it his. And at that moment, you are born again. At that moment, the flesh is gone and the Spirit is alive. That's all it takes. And you are His. Look at this Savior of yours who paved that way. Now we talked about this curse, right? There is no childbirth without pain. You can't do it, right, women? Not possible? I'm I'm a man, so I can't comment on this. It's not possible, correct? It hurts. Dude, even if you get the epidural and you can't feel anything, it still hurts later, right? Still hurts leading up to. There is pain. So who bears the pain in the second birth? Do you see it, y'all? Do you see it? Who bears the pain of the second birth? And it's Jesus, right? Because childbirth cannot come without pain, Jesus took on all all of that pain. Do you see how perfectly he reverses this curse? He takes exactly what the enemy planned. Well, this pain will turn him away. And he turns it right back to God. He points everyone through the cross of Jesus Christ and says, this is the way. Walk in it. And remember the second part of the curse. 
This is my favorite part. What's the second part of the curse, right? That Eve's desire will be for her husband, and yet he will rule over her. You want to see that reversal? Look at the book of Revelation. This is from Revelation 19. It says, After these things I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation, glory, and power belong to our God because His judgments are true and righteous. For He has judged the great prostitute who was corrupting the earth with her sexual immorality. And He has avenged the blood of His bondservants over her. And a second time they said, Hallelujah! Her smoke rises forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who sits on the throne, saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And a voice came from the throne saying give praise to our God all you his bond servants you who fear him the small and the great then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying hallelujah for the Lord our God almighty reigns right here y'all look at this Let's rejoice and be glad and give the glory to Him because the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has prepared herself. Who is the Lamb, y'all? Jesus Christ. And who is His bride? Us, the church, you and me. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours, your brother, of your brothers and sisters who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. This is your husband, y'all. A white horse and he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on the white horse. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Who is the bride of the Lamb? We are the church disciples of Jesus Christ, church of Jesus Christ, this is your husband. Do you see the glorious reversal? May our hearts burn for our true husband, Jesus Christ. May our desire be only for him so much 
that we are willing to surrender everything and rejoice as he rules over us. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel House Podcast. We pray that you are pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learn to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button, leave us a rating, and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, www.thegospel.house backslash connect. Fill out the form and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you and remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.